Conversations on the Margins is a Go Loud original podcast. The following episode contains strong language, mentions of drug use, violence and suicide. Discretion is advised. I think if all of us had even the smallest portion of Stretch's energy, we'd all be doing well. He is an absolute ball of energy. I felt like I knew him all my life and he was just so easy to sit down and bounce back and forth with and so lovely and, you know, just to think of all the hardship he experienced and, and, and still present him with that humour and that hope. When he walks into the room, he has this tiny little ponytail tied to the top of his head. He, he's tall and he's, he's this really cute character. When he even sitting down in front of you, it's, his arms are so long. Like, his arms are hanging down so low at the sides of the chair. And then when he stands up to sing, and he does this amazing piece, which is will hear in the podcast, and then he comes in with his rhyme. But there's all this energy coming out of his face, like it's red, you can see little veins in his neck. But at no stage does these really long arms that he has, that are almost touching the backs of his knees, they rarely leave the sides of his body. We can regret the things that we've done, right? But when you've nothing else going on in your life and the only thing that you're getting a sense of purpose for is making money to use, Mm -hmm. like, it's unfortunate, but that is the thing that it's filling your day. So it's hard not to then create art about that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. And um, if sometimes it feels like... I don't know, someone else is controlling me. Like, I have a song here as well, if you don't mind, I'll I'll, I'll get this one out of the way. It's called um, 666 because it feels like the devil sometimes and uh, the chorus goes yo it goes the devil's got me signed he's always by my side and this is how he rhymes when he pops into my mind I said the devil's got me signed we're out here doing crime yeah 666 is the devil in disguise I'm out, here, I'm out here doing robberies burglaries and creeps I'm in your kitchen window while your family's asleep I'm walking up the stairs on the side on my feet hoping I don't make a sound you don't hear a creak all your stuff is free to me I'm on a jacking spree creeping to your living room robbing your TV I'm going through your cupboards I'm trying to find the safe I'm making sure I'm covered because the camera on my face the devil's got me looking like crystal in the lake 666 got me out of on the take you can call me damien moving like the omen coming to your front door even if it isn't open if i can't open it with the shogun i guess i must be the one the devil has chosen the devil's got me signed he's always by my side and this is how he rhymes when he pops into my mind i said the devil's got me signed we're out here doing crime it's 666 it's the devil in disguise and that there was kind of when i was in a bad place you know and and they feel that's the mindset I have to get into to yeah. do crime. Tell and me a little I, bit about that because that's yeah. interesting, right? Mm. Because most of my, say, friends and the lads I meet in here that, and, and myself that have done, I suppose, shitty things in our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? You're 100%. But, but we, we're not necessarily, uh, we're not bad people. So it's like you can be two things at once. Yeah, exactly. So how, how do you change mindset to be those two things at once? So a person that understands wish I didn't have to do this, hate this situation, gonna have to do this thing to get drugs. And then this other mindset needs to kick into gear to allow you to push against your gut instinct of good. I remember when I was young, I was in trouble. Always on the mic, mum never gave me a cuddle. It was hard sometimes, all I think. All I saw was violence, all I saw was drink. Forgiveness you know what exactly is it and do we truly understand how to give it and how to receive it when we have a perpetrator and a victim we have a relationship that in many ways should not exist nor does either party want it to what becomes of this connection between parties significantly when someone has been wronged in the most serious of ways forgiveness is a complex thing to begin to even think about if we as human beings have innate value and the right not to be harmed, we automatically recognise that the harm caused to us is wrong. This is true of these men in terms of what life has done to them and then in turn what they've done to others in life. What happens to our worth when we are forgiven and is there moral value in the act of forgiveness? And when all else fails, do we have the right to ignore ourselves in the absence of permission from those who we have hurt? To never harm again, as stated by Paul in this episode, is the ultimate goal and display of remorse and change. 
If forgiveness flows from that, well then so be it. Forgiveness from victims is not something that you have a right to and that comes really strong from the men in this episode. I think they had an acute understanding that although forgiveness from a victim or a victim's family or from your own family is a really, really deep type of forgiveness, you don't have a right for that forgiveness and you don't necessarily have a right to ask for that forgiveness. But I suppose the importance of this conversation is how do we continue in life in the absence of that forgiveness? But how do we create and support situations for forgiveness to actually happen? And now I'm living real better. Gotta stop my cheddar. Whatever the weather. Stack it up and keep on flowing man together. We can do this if we all stand together forever. So firstly, Karen, thank you very much for being here today. Not only, I suppose, for being here today, but um, we've been on a bit of a journey, I suppose, in developing the podcast, um, which has been a huge honour to me, uh, for me to be able to go in and have conversations with the lads and hear their ideas and their, you know, and their solutions and their experiences and to hopefully um, create some sort of an impact with them. But I am not, I suppose, unaware of sometimes how difficult it is to come into the prison space as well, like and have those conversations. And I think the, what's obvious is the more we begin to open up that space, hopefully the more change we can create. And I just want to thank you for being so willing and open to allow me to come in and, and, and yeah, just kind of begin that process. Um, I think it's a great opportunity, not just for the men who get the opportunity to share their stories, but also for the service, because what we do in prison happens behind closed walls um, and very few people get to see um, the work that happens in prison and the transformation um, that men and women in our care undertake in their custodial journey. So it's a great opportunity, I think, from the prison services perspective and from the individuals themselves for you to be able to come in and to hear and see what happens uh, within the walls of our prisons. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. And I think sometimes, like, obviously we can look at the prison system and go X, Y, Z needs to change. But actually what comes across in so many of the cases is that stuff that happens within the prison then is sometimes not being supported and met when people then leave prison. And I suppose you can't, I suppose, do much from your end in terms of what what happens before the prison system and then what happens after the prison system. There's obviously various different points in that. But I do think um, having the conversations allows us to see that the, the good things that are happening in prison in relation to education and and music and talent and art and all those things it's like there's so there's such a hub of um vibrant uh, men and women um that are in the system that just have so much to give society and i think we've so many questions to answer then in terms of how we treat people when they leave the prison system but um to go back a little bit will you tell me a little bit just so listeners know like just what your role is yeah, in terms so of the prison service. I've been Director General of the Prison Service for the last three years, but I've spent the majority of my career within the prison service over 15 years um, at this stage. As Director General, I perform a number of functions. Firstly, obviously, I oversee um, the day-to-day operation of our 12 prisons. Um, I'm also driving a really, really ambitious reform programme right across every area of activity within the prison system. And then obviously I have a really important role in terms of engaging at a central level within government to ensure that Ireland has a penal policy that's fit for purpose and that is progressive and that best supports the men and women in our custody to help them transform their lives, which allows us to contribute to safer societies. From um, from your experience then, um, from all those years within, within the prison system, I think um, you've you've heard some very early um, uh, drafts of, of the podcast and people's experiences. But throughout all those years... Um, has it really been the same types of groups and people and marginalisation that you see come into the prison system? And, you know, how much work do we need to do to ensure that prison is not an almost determined factor in someone's life? Yeah, I mean, the demographics are quite stark in terms of who um, ends up in the prison system in Ireland. So if we look at addiction, um, you know, almost 70% of people who come into custody have an active addiction. If we look at mental illness, there is a huge prevalence um, of both severe and enduring mental illness and other, um, you know, mental disorders within the prison population. If we look at educational attainment, um, over 70% of people in custody are early school leavers. Um, If we look at employment, 
80% of people who come into custody were unemployed before they came in. And if we look at homelessness, um, about 10% of people who come into custody are homeless. Um, so what's really clear is that a lot of those factors are the factors that contribute to a person's offending behaviour and lead them to come in contact with the criminal justice system and lead them to come into custody. And unless we can support people in their communities and address those factors while people are in custody, but more importantly, through the gate when people leave and go back to their community, that we're going to simply see the perpetuation of a cycle of offending and reoffending. Um, so I think what's critical from a prison service perspective is that we really meaningfully engage with people while they're in our care to help them transform their lives. So one of the key values of the prison service is potential. Um, so we believe everybody has the ability to be a better person. And that actually, we have a learning mindset within the organisation. So the organisation is always growing and trying to improve. But likewise, everybody in our care has the potential to be a better person. And really our job um, is to help people find the talents and the skills um, that they have to unlock their potential and to allow them then when they leave our custody to live much more productive lives. Yeah, I think it's such, there's so many big questions, isn't there, for us to be able to try and solve in terms of that um, prevention piece. But I think in in the idea of people, I suppose, discovering um, the best versions of themselves. In one, in one uh, interview, one of the lads said uh, that his, when he said to his um, family member, you know, I've, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing, but it was along the lines like, oh, I've changed or I've this. And, and she said, like no son you are now who you always were meant to be that actually the in-between bit where you were engaging in criminality or there was drug use or there was that was the abnormal piece you know and I thought it was quite powerful like and it, it kind of really makes us identify with when every child is born and the hopes and aspirations of those children and what happens along the way that doesn't allow us actually fulfill those but can you tell me a little bit about then so the, while people are engaged with you in the prison system, they might display different talents and arts and skills or different desires for different jobs. But um, we spoke previously about um, an initiative that, that you are pursuing or heading up or is, is in process in relation to like a social contract piece. Can you t- tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I suppose I'll start by saying, you know, historically the prison service would have seen its role ending when somebody left the prison and walked out the front gate. We've completely changed our mindset in relation to that because we invest such time and energy in supporting people while they're in custody. We don't want to see the gains people have made lost when they go back to their communities. So we really have been reaching out in a much more broad way into communities to help ex-offenders be supported. One of those areas is around social enterprise and employment. Um, So going back a couple of years, we developed a social enterprise strategy with the probation service and really that was aimed at creating social enterprises that would give people a second chance and I think it's really important for people to remember that a person who comes into custody who has a mental illness who has an addiction who has a low level of educational attainment really invests in themselves to transform their lives and when they leave custody they're a different person and it's really important that that person is given a second chance and an opportunity to play a productive role in society so employment is absolutely critical um, in terms of taking people out of poverty in terms of giving somebody a structure and a routine around their lives. So we in the prison service have been looking at the idea of a social clause within our procurement contracts um, so that people we're giving contracts to have an obligation to give a second chance to ex-offenders. Well, I think that's all well and good, but I really think the criminal justice system needs to be leading in this regard. So we've recently gone to tender for a canteen facility in the prison service headquarters. And part of that tender is that the person providing the service must give an opportunity of employment to ex-offenders because, you know, we're saying to employers So we've moved our social enterprise strategy on. It's now a social enterprise and employment strategy. And we're bringing employers into our prisons to show them the talents and the skills and the really great workforce that's available. Um, We're doing a lot of work in terms of trying to look at a pathway to apprenticeships um, with the Department of Higher Education because there's a huge amount of work that's done individually by people while they're in their custody. And unless we can try to work right across government to support people when they leave, those people will just continuously come back within uh, the prison system and all of that investment from the prison services perspective, but most importantly from the men and women's own perspective, will be lost. So second chances um, are really, really important and giving people hope. And it's really important when we have people in our custody that they can hope to have a better future and they can hope and aspire to employment. They can hope and aspire to third level education. There's some really exciting things happening um, in terms of third level education and I'd 
point to Cork University and Maynooth University who are really leading um, in terms of working with men and women within the prison system. Um, we're allowing people on day release to attend college and really their access programmes are embracing people um, you know, who have an offending past and education is absolutely incredible. The education units we have in our prisons are so incredible. The teachers are absolutely amazing. They're really vibrant places of learning. But I think what we're doing is instilling a love of lifelong learning into people. And it just doesn't affect the man or woman themselves. They then bring that home to their family. They give that to their children. And education is absolutely uh, vitally important in terms of opening doors for people on their release. Yeah, um, completely. And, you know, it's um, the, the programme with Minute is brilliant. I'm not, I don't think I, I'm, I'm too aware of the one in Cork um, and the open university piece. And I think then it would also be great, like in my head, I'm going, well, imagine like the universities then that the teachers like, in, in, you know, yeah. in a long term then that the teachers like the, the students that were in prison that came through the open learning became teachers on those programmes like Absolutely. that would that would be amazing. Yeah. And if, if I just point to Cork, Cork co-deliver um, a programme to men in custody and students from the community and some of those classes are delivered in the prison. So the students from Cork University come into the prison, the lecturer comes into the prison and the class is delivered and everybody in that room is equal and they're there as a learner. Brilliant. Powerful. And I, I, I love that. And I think that's why it was good to carry out the podcast in the education centre as well, because I suppose I struggle with saying the word prisoner because then it becomes another characteristic rather than like man who's in prison, you know, but being able to call like, you know, the, the students and being able to kind of have much more like strength based language in how we actually talk about people. Something that came up in, in the podcast a little bit was just about, I suppose, like obviously people have to also seek out the interventions that exist within the prison system but obviously resource issues and staff issues and stuff makes it not always easy say to access access specific parts so there might be waiting lists and stuff what like what potentially would the prison system need in terms of ensuring that there's like greater access to addiction counselling or greater access to psychology and like does the prison system currently struggle in terms of being able to resource or manage um, some of the interventions in terms of greater access to those interventions? I think what we know, I suppose, nationally and internationally is that prison works best for people who pose the greatest risk to society and who are serving a sufficiently long sentence to allow us to meaningfully engage. So if you have an addiction, we're not in a position to deal with or to give you the services for you to deal with your addiction in a month or two months or three months or four months. Equally in relation to education, if you're going to come and do um, a QQI course and get a qualification, if you're going to do your junior cert or your leaving cert um, or an open university course, if you're in custody, you know, for two, three, four, five, six months, we're not going to be in a position um, to help you address that issue. If you have an underlying mental illness, we're not going to be in a position to help you, you address your illness. So really, from a prison service perspective and from an intervention perspective, we're much more effective when we have people who pose the greatest risk to society for a sufficiently long period of time that we can engage with them and provide them the services they need. However, if you look at the demographics um, of committals to custody on any given year, about 70% of people who are sent to prison come for less than 12 months. So they may come for one month, two months, three months, four months, five months. And I think the difficulty there is that there are waiting lists, um, you know, within our, our systems. You know, there, there are limits on our resources. So we've got 22 addiction counsellors for the whole estate. We've got 30 psychologists. Um, so we've one psychologist every 250 people in custody. Um, so there are waiting lists. So if you're coming in for a short sentence, mm. then we're not going to be really able to engage with you so that we can address the factors that gave rise to your offending in the first place. If if you're with us for a sufficiently longer period, then we are in a position to help you transform your life. So <clears throat> I think what's really important in terms of ensuring that we use our resources to the best effect is to look at community sanctions for people who have low level offending and who are getting shorter sentences, because the reality is they're much better supported in their community and by their community and have much greater potential to properly address the issues that are giving rise to their offending within a community setting. And I think we also need to remember that prison is a very costly intervention. So a prison space costs about 80,000 euro a year. 
a probation order costs 5,000 euro and community service costs 1,500 euro. Um, so we need to keep prison for people who pose the greatest risk to society so that we can really address and get underneath the factors that are given rise to their offending. And then we need to support people who, because of their chaotic lifestyle and because of their addiction, because of their mental illness, who are engaging in low-level criminality and offending behaviour, we really need to work better to support those people in the community. And there's quite a lot of work happening on a national level to give effect to that. So we're looking at some really exciting penal policy uh, priorities for Ireland at the moment. And part of that is enshrining imprisonment as a last resort as a principle, which is really, really important. And secondly, looking to expand the community sanctions that are available to the judges so that we can better support people in their own communities. I think the big thing to remember is that when a person is sent to prison, the term of imprisonment is the punishment. And I think for some people, they mistake our prisons as institutions of punishment. But actually, our prisons are institutions of opportunity. Because if we don't work with the men and women in our care, if we don't reduce their risk of reoffending, when they go back to their community, we will create more victims of crime. So the way the prison service can best support victims and best support safer communities is by giving opportunities to the men and women in our care it is in terms of helping them address all of those factors and issues that have given rise to their offending behaviour in the first place because then we stand the best chance and they stand the best chance of living a productive life when they go back to their community. Um, in order for that to happen, we need to do more um, of all of the great work we do within the prison service, but we need more supports within the communities to help those people on that journey back into their communities so they, they can contribute to those communities in meaningful ways. Yeah, and I think... I think um you know, whatever happens within the prison system and trying to uh, achieve that uh, society and media and employment and all those different sectors um, need to move in the same direction in recognising that, you know, the, the, the where and when the punishment starts and stops and that we should be s- celebrating the transformation when it's there. We should be celebrating people um, in... You know, celebrating is probably not the right word, but we should be encouraging and empowering people who have uh, gone through a process of wanting to give to society. And then we kind of stop them doing that. And I think it's important that we all take ownership about er- the role that we play in actually creating crime. And I know nobody will want to go, I don't, I is you know, it's a personal choice if you're going to a crime. But if the media or society is going to continue to berate and isolate people when they leave prison instead of giving them opportunities, well, then you're not playing a very positive role in the reducing of crime in your society. Everybody deserves a second chance. And everybody deserves to have hope for their future. Um, And if we can't see the transformation that happens to the men and women in custody when they come out, so as I've said, they come in as a certain person with a certain range of issues and problems. For many, many people, when they leave um, the prison system, they are different people. They have, um, you know, faced up to the crime that they have committed. They have a lot of um, sympathy and compassion for the victims and a lot of sorrow for the the pain they've caused to other people. But they've dealt with the issues that gave rise to their offending behaviour and they want to have an opportunity to go back to their community and contribute in a meaningful way to that community. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us in terms of the third level education sector, in terms of employers, um, that we don't stigmatise people because they've been in the custodial system. So remember, as a society, we're investing €80,000 a year in transforming a person while they're in our custody to go out to be a better person, to live a better life. So we need to be willing to give them that opportunity and willing to support them on that journey when they come out of custody. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Don't worry about it. What I love about Paul is how he comes to life when you bring Marty, Paul and Anto together. 
They're like, you know, the three amigos. They really bounce off each other. And you can actually see that Paul's confidence grows when he's with them. And they're all very supportive of each other. And they're all wearing the usual clothes that you would as a, as a working class man. You know, you have your Nikes and you have your Nike tracksuits on and stuff. And, you know, people like to keep themselves well. I remember one of the lads looking at the producer uh, and director's feet and saying to me, you know, she's quite quirky, isn't she? Like, look at her runners. And I looked down at her runners and she was wearing like Converse you know a little bit worn and scruffy and like colourful socks and he was like she's she's like she's fairly quirky isn't she and it was literally based on the footwear and sometimes it's the more privileged that you are that you care less about what's on you or how cheap the clothes are or if your runners are grubby so really for me he was pointing out something very significant which was like what's the crack or grubby runners which was really lovely like I loved seeing them moments with the production team and with the lads where you just see those cultural differences but in the most respectful way it's just a recognising of each other's and each other's ways which is really lovely I forgive you but I'll never forget and it's like well what does what does that mean? You know, do you really forgive someone if you're never going to forget? <laughs> you know, and what does it mean to forget? You know, and so I think to get the conversation going with us, I thought that that's, I would chat a little bit about what you understand as forgiveness. And do you think it's a powerful thing, both in terms of internal forgiveness, but then also within your families or in within society and what role can forgiveness play in us being able to build a better future. Sure, getting forgiveness off someone will give you the confidence, like we're talking about outside of here, give you the confidence to go get yourself jobs and stuff like that, you know? You're not worried about the stigma of being a, a prisoner and stuff like that, or an ex-prisoner, so if you get forgiveness out of that, like that's, that's a big thing, like, you know what I mean? To give you a bit of confidence that you're not stigmatising yourself in your own head because if you don't forget forgiveness off someone else, you're not going to forgive yourself. So you're going to constantly think that you're worthless and you won't try and progress. You're going to stay in this rough cycle back into jail, out of jail, back in. Because like, if no one else cares about me, why should I care about myself? Like, I know they do say you have to start caring about yourself first before others. But a little help along the way helps a lot. Like, you know what I mean? That's what I think with the forgiveness thing. You know? Do you think there's a relationship then between forgiveness and wart? Oh yeah, all day long, like, well like, you're in here, you're in here, you're not in here for being good, you're in here for doing something bad, so if someone's forgiving you for doing something bad, well, you're going to feel like that you have a bit of worth in yourself, right, well this person's had to forgive me, I'm not so bad after all, I'm actually worth something in the end of it, like, you know what I mean, I'm not just another statistic and stuff like that coming in and out of jail all the time, like, that's, that's what I think of it, you know. Would you say forgiveness is, forgiveness for a person that, as a person, I forgiveness in society in general. I think like for the person, if we walk down, well, I, if you, I forgive you. Say you, you commit a crime against somebody. Or do you, are you saying for the whole society to say you have to forgiven? That's a brilliant question because actually, who has the right to forgive somebody yeah. on behalf of somebody else? Yeah. So there's, you're, you're right. And I think that that's quite, a, it, 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 something we should be thinking about. It's like, like the person might forgive it, but the society mightn't. Yeah. Or it could be vice versa. So one forgiveness has a different impact, would you say? So societal forgiveness is not maybe about forgiveness fully, but it's about acceptance that your punishment has happened. Right. And then how do you move on from punishment to be able to be a member of society? Yeah. And then there's forgiveness on behalf of your family or your kids or potential victims that that forgiveness is a, probably a much more profound forgiveness yeah. really than just a societal one, do you think? Of course it would because... Like, if your kids blame you for being in prison, your family blame you for being in prison, well, it's their own fault and all that. That's the, you, you want to come out and say, well, look, I'm sorry, forgive me for this, forgive me for that. Like it says, like, it is a deeper, it's a deeper forgiveness instead of, like, as a society as a whole. So, I don't know, it all depends on what level they're at. It's weird. It's, like, one member of your family might say, well, I forgive you. I don't want to simply don't. You know, so how do you balance it? How do you, how do you? So hard for someone in my family could be yes. hard more than the other one, like, you know what I mean? You can look at it different. You might have a different well, opinion of what happened. Well, I had that a couple of weeks ago, I said to me, I hope when I grow something there, or I hope you can forgive me someday. 
And he says, I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to forgive you over the phone. I want to do it in person. And I fell for the 16 year old young to say that's 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 like, yeah. fell, like, Whoa. It sounds really wise. You know what I mean? Like, he wants yeah, to say it proper. Like, I can't believe that he will forgive me, but it's a proud thing for me for him to say that. You know what I mean? Mm. I kind of just said it. Like, I hope someday I'm sorry for being in prison. I hope you forgive me someday. He says, Yeah, I don't want to forgive you over the phone. I want to forgive you in person. So that was a big thing like, for me from, from my kids. Like, you know what, I mean? what will it mean for you? It's not a second chance of life in my kids. Like, my kids could have said, Fuck him, he's in prison. Like, he's he done what he's done. Like, I don't want that and got to the other they didn't. They're not judging me for what I've done. They're judging me because they want to meet me. You know what I mean? So that's a big thing, like for me, like you know what I mean? Mm. What do you think it allows us um, move on with our lives? When even though everyone might not forgive us, but when particular people accept us and forgive us, that it helps us heal a part of ourselves to be better in society. Well, oh, yeah, hundred yeah. percent it does. Like because at the end of the day, you can say, "Wait, well." Mrs. Jones down the road doesn't forgive me, but like she's actually not part of my life. Like it's the people that's closest to you that you want to feel the forgiveness off. Like you know what I mean. So if someone that has nothing got to do with your circle doesn't forgive you, at the end of the day they're not in your circle. But like what I think is if you're in for a crime and you get forgiveness of your family and say for that crime you've done, so that's it should be done. Society shouldn't we shouldn't have to look for forgiveness off society then. Do you know what I mean? Like we've. We've done our time. The people close to us that knows us the best, and probably the people we've hurt, have forgiven us. So why does it drag on then to outside the outside that little bubble? Like you know what I mean? I think that's that's the hard part. Like you know what I mean? That's where the the divide comes if you want to put it that way. Like you know what I mean? Is like well, everyone that knows me knows me for who I am, has forgiven me, and what I've done. Yeah, it was wrong or whatever. Like, but they forgive me. So why am I getting judged and not getting forgiven by someone else that? Only now is a slip bit of my life, like, you know what I mean? Know where does it stop? Where does it end? Yeah, they don't know you in person, like, only these people that know you because they didn't read about you, what crime you've done. We all made mistakes in life, like, you know what I mean? So, so everyone, can everyone can change, like, in prison, like, you know what I mean? Like, so it's just, want your own family and your friends to forgive you, like, and obviously the victim's family, but if you don't ask for I wouldn't, the crime I'm in for, I understand the family don't forgive me because I don't blame them for what I've done, I've done, like, you know what I mean? And I regret what I've done, but what can you do? Like, you know what I mean? Like, just one time good and sorry for what I've done, just have to move forward, isn't it? Like, mm. how, how do you, yeah, how do you begin to forgive yourself? Like, what type of process do you think is involved in that? Because I have many things I've done that I, you know, I might try and put them somewhere far back in my past, or I might work hard to be a different version of myself now, but it's like, what is the actual act of forgiveness? Is it just something we say or is it something we actually feel deep down? Do you ever forgive yourself for something bad that you've done? I don't think you ever do. You, as you say, you'll backdoor it and put it somewhere else. But to, to get over the forgiveness thing is, is, as I say again, the people that's around you, if they like, forgive you, it makes it easier for you to put whatever that forgiveness is you're looking for back out of your mind, it's not the first thing on your thought every morning, like, you know, so if you don't have that, you're never going to forgive yourself. I don't think you do forgive yourself to not an extent, fully, yeah. do you know what I mean, like that, but you can put it to the back of your mind, like, you know, that's that's the way I, I think of it, like, you're never going to say, yeah, look, I'm, I forgive myself for doing this, because at the end of the day, you have hope people and stuff like that, but you get on with it because of the people around you that matters. They, they forgive you, so why you've, they're not worried about it, why should I worry about it? And then that's when it becomes less of a problem for your head then, you know? Stop trying to hold people as well going forward, like try to change everything coming, you can't change the past, but whatever comes in front of you, day by day you can change, like, you know what I mean? You can positive things going forward, but you like, what you're doing, what you're doing, you regret everything you've done, but show that going forward in your life like that, you, you, you do, you're sorry for what you've done, like, you know what I mean? Mm. So it's an acknowledgement that, yeah, like I've done harm or we've done harm or um but it's it's an endeavour to, to to move into the rest of your life without doing harm. Not intentionally yeah. anyway. Do positive things going forward as well, like. Yeah. Do you think there's any sort of relationship between the idea of forgiveness and the idea of shame? I still have the forgiveness one, but like it's, it's it's a weird one, like you know. Yeah, you're still thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, because uh, yeah. Like, you're saying like, your family forgive you or your society forgives you and you're saying about you forgive yourself how do you forgive yourself you're going to forget about it you can't keep going on about it you just keep going to drag it back up 
Like keep yeah. reliving it is asking yeah. to forgive yourself again and again and again and again yeah, every so, time it comes up. Yeah. Like so, as uh, he was saying, I just move on. You know, if you've done wrong, you've done wrong. You know you've done wrong. You pay the price. Just keep moving forward, as you say. But uh, keep going back to thinking about it. So it's never go away. Every time you think about it, oh, Jesus, sorry I done that. She'll be sorry for the rest of her life. Yeah, no, it's it's mad when you start to think about these words, isn't it? That we yeah. use every day. Yeah. Like we use them every day, but it's like, well, what do they mean though? What do they exactly, mean? Yeah. And what what meaning do we put on them as well? Like because. Who has a right to forgive you? Yeah. <laughs> and or, or do we deserve? Yeah. It's like because then we start going, you know. Do they deserve have a right? Do they have to write the I deserve to, to forgive you. Exactly. Like someone might say, well, who the fuck do you think you have forgiven him? Mm. I don't think you should do that. And really they say, well, I just want to give them a chance. That's a big debate. Yeah. You're caught in the middle, like, you know? So, yeah. Uh, look who has the right, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's big stuff. But like, so for me, why I, I kind of attach it to shame sometimes is that sometimes I think we can, and through all my years of working with people in addiction as well, that because they don't feel that they deserve to feel better about themselves, they do bring up the things they did. It's nearly it's nearly like self-harm sometimes. Right. Like, a, like, a, like, yes, the system is punishing you, but what do we do as well to keep on punishing ourselves? And do we keep bringing up those bad memories sometimes as a form of self-punishment, you know? Is it, if you keep going back to the past, as you said, you'll never move on. It's just, you'll be stuck in that rut for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? It's time to you have to let go. You like, can just the move on, and the people have to that around you have to let go and move on. And if they want to get stuck in that rut, stuck in that quicksand, they're going to drag you down with them. You put your hand out. So do you think? Do you think then the fact that some people or we all can struggle to move on from difficult times actually has a negative impact on society because people can't just get on with their lives then and do the right thing? Because if you're going to keep being held accountable for something that's already happened in a yeah. point in time and you're never allowed to move on from that, does that have a negative impact on people being able to live a happier life? Of course it would. Yeah, yeah it does. Like, yeah. You, take, you take a child that does something wrong on you. Like, yeah, you might be like, mad for 10 seconds or whatever it is, or depending on what it did, but you get over it and you forget about it. It's done and dusted. But when you're coming from a prison setting and your class is doing something wrong, that's a different stigma altogether. And it's not put on with us because we all get on and we live a life it is. It's put on with people that's outside looking in. It's not from people inside looking out. Like it's, it's a different type of like a forgiveness that you're trying to say. It's a, it's a bit of a shame and thing. Like where a kid is, you're grounded, stuff like that. It's over and done with. Whereas with people coming out of prison, it, it's different. Like we we've moved on to a certain extent, and it's people that's looking in on us that we're actually saying, do we need forgiveness of them? Whereas yeah. we've got on with it ourselves, we've, we've passed that, we've got over that whole, yeah, right, it mightn't have been easy, but we've gone through it, it's over, it's done with now, we're ready for the next chapter, if you want to say, but it's, as I say, it's outsiders looking in that constantly <coughs> are, like a thorn in your side, basically, judging. into judging all That's the time. That's what I was going to say, it's like, it's like judging you. Mm. Like they say, oh, I forgive, so, so, so I mean, it that's is it actually, is. yeah, it's, that's it's interesting. Isn't it? Yeah, so if it's someone you you. wants to keep holding you accountable or shaming yeah. you, now, yeah. and not even directly related to to, to, to ourselves, like not even our direct family, like but doing just about 15 even or 20 years in prison and you're not changing your life to the whole prison system, then you walk out the gate, the paper takes a picture of you and brings everything back up about you. Mm. What else are you meant to do? Like, you're just going to duck in your head, don't want to They're still being judged. They're still being judged. So the punishment never ends. Never ends. No. Never ends. It's a cycle after cycle when it's coming to you want to start it off and forgiveness we're going from judgingness to the hurt to shame just on that one word it's just a big massive cycle that's as I always say it's the outsiders looking in that need to reevaluate their life like you know what I mean and We've, they're curious and it's the, most men are snowy parkers really oh he's yeah. in the old prison out the window look at him Still the same, hasn't changed. Got a bit older already. You know I mean? <laughs> no, walking through I wonder what he's doing now. We're a bad man. I wonder what he's up to now. And the police are coming down the road. Must be for him. Waiting for you to fail again. So yeah. Just because you're only. That's other people's views, you know? What, It'd what, be a scandal what, when you go out. What impact do you think other people's views then have on your existence when you leave prison? If you let it get to you, you'd you, you, you fuck your head up. Or if you just 
It's going around love. It's easy to smoke off. Let Some them. people are more able to do that than others. I know, I know, they? I know what you're saying, but uh, I, I, I'd say if people took it to heart, they, they probably will get into a depression, they probably will come, won't come out of the house. Probably go back up to all sorts, you wouldn't know. Probably, have, like you said, they think it's a stigma against them. That they go to the shop and the, the man behind the counter is looking and everyone's looking at them and <coughs> fucking out here. Yeah, and then one of their family do something wrong then, or they look at it totally different then, you know what I mean? It's all right when nothing happens to their family, but then when someone goes, does wrong in their family, their nephews or their grandchildren, they say, oh, I'm not being judging him for years now, one of my own's in this situation, so. so do you then think it changes for them. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, so, so in a way, in many cases, a lot, of, a lot of a lot of us, and we're, I think we're all guilty of it, are, can be judgmental, but we can also then, you know, not have enough compassion for other people's situations, so we go straight to the judgment. You know, so straight to the, oh, he's going to get locked back up. Oh, the guards must be on the road. Right? Like we have all yeah. these quick reactionary yeah. judgments the fire, on the yeah, yeah, Before yeah. you get to meet you, how long you've not been in prison. And nearly wanting to be proved right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. You know? Hold yourself. Yeah. So do you, think, exactly. do you, do you think people or, lack... Or else, sorry, do, 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 uh, if you have uh, any kids or uh, any relations or anything like that, or teachers like him. You know, that's kind of... Waiting on your kids to say, like the father, yeah. He's kind of following the footsteps. Told you, he's right all along, you know. Now he'd be like his dad or this or that. Yeah, yeah. So do you have to have have picture ready for that toilet before he even gets gets anywhere? And that's the old Bill as well. He'd be be like the outlaws. Yeah, well, Apple didn't fall far from the tree, as they always say, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like that, yeah, look at him, he belongs to him. Look, that's why he's going So there you go, the toilet doesn't get a chance. Yeah. And and in a sense, right, so say if you have like, you know, because say if you have a, a father that's been involved in criminality or has been in prison and then they look at the child and they kind of go, um, you know, they blame the, the father. You know, that's his fault. He that's what he done. He was a, that was the type mm. of role model he was or he didn't care, and da, 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 which always bothers me because in a sense, that father has been completely um, removed from his own history. So when you look at sometimes at the father, the father was let down massively or the father also came from maybe a family that didn't have much income or maybe there was mental health issues. But all of a sudden that man, that, that young that young person, whatever, becomes a father. And for some reason, there's an expectation of him, on him that he should know what to do now he's a father, even though he's been failed yeah. massively. I always find that strange. Do you know what I mean? That somehow we separate the fathers or the mothers from their own history. Yeah. yeah. And forget that they were also massively let down. But now we're blaming them for how their children uh, are, 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 what their children are involved in. You know? Do you yeah. think we're, we're hard on people in that way? Yeah, well, like, you're going oh, to like, turn around and say, ah, oh, that little young is just like his elfle. And I'm not going to say, well, that poor elfle struggled through. He did his job, but when he was out, he worked seven days a week to pay for that little young fella to go. They don't, they, they don't go into it in that way, like, you know what I mean? They'll say, ah, oh, he's going to take like him. They don't say, like, he's out every day for doing stuff for Santi. Or, you know, the, the little things that's in his just now, he's going to follow him, he's going to be in prison, and that's the... They don't go to the hardship what the fighters had to be in trail beforehand to make them go to jail in the first place. You know what I mean? It's just pointing a finger at them straight away, like, you know? So in a sense, we need to really support whole families, you know? So we talk about supporting young people, but really we need to make sure that their parents and their grandparents all receive support so that people can actually flourish and, and, and do well. Yeah, like, it's, mm. yeah, it's... You look like that, yeah. The whole the, family, yeah. When when you're in jail and your kids outside, they're doing it as well, which is so like they do need the support because it's not fair on them as well. So but if if they're just fingers being pointed at me, you're gonna be like your outlet in there and with no support, well, what else what are else they gonna, gonna think? Do, yeah. They're gonna think, well here, my life is written here, I ain't gonna be like me dad. And you know what? I'll probably be better than them will last longer and not get caught. You know, like it's just that's the way society it's like it, me when I was a kid as I was saying, what's your name? Give your second name. Ah, yeah, she would be like to this, but I am your brother. Ah, you'll be like him locked up. So, you set up as I said, I was putting a home when I was 11 years of age. I'm getting set up, but not going to school. Like, I'm getting set up at 11 years of age, put in a place with criminality people in, in homes. Like, you know what I mean? So, you set up the fair before you even know what to do in your life. So, when you're a, when you're a young kid, like a young, a young kid, not even probably a young man yet, um, in a sense, that fact that there's a, an aspiration or a kind of people think that you're just going to fail. Isn't it mad now as adults when you look back and go, 
well, what was I actually, what messages was I receiving as a young person that I have failed even though I'm a child? Like, how can that be? Like, so I remember when I got pregnant at 15 and a woman that worked in the school said to me, you've wasted your life. And I remember going, I'm fucking 15. <laughs> I yeah. <even> started <laughs> my life. Yeah, yeah, I'm only starting but now. She spoke, I remember, I remember realising that she spoke about me in the past tense. And I was a child and somehow that was a reflection on me. Actually, that sounds more like a reflection on you yeah. and society that I'm a child and you think there's no hope for me. And do you think that like as young kids, that that's the type of messages that they receive? Like there's literally no hope for you. You are going to be no good. As we did when we were kids or as kids now? No, when you were kids. We never got much support after after schools or anything like that. No, sure. as you, like you said, you got a slap on your. If you, if you, you were, uh, yeah, if you were gonna, uh, if you weren't in in the click in the classroom, you were gonna fail anyway. Didn't want you there, mm. you know. Just want the top students at the top, use it all down the back, you know. Especially <coughs> uh, especially as I said, I was dyslexic, but when I was struggling with reading and writing, I couldn't read. You were always put at the end of the class to wait and they go. You were always separated, and then the kids that could read, fair play to them, but. They're all laughing and joking, oh, yeah, him at the back can't even read or anything. So that's what kind of stopped me from going to school. And then I got took out of my house and locked up over it. So where was the help there, like, you know what I mean? Do, 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 do you accept now in any shape or form uh, that as, as young people, that, like, because like, the word tick has been used or failed or not the same as or separated from, um, do you feel now that like, you had no control over that as children? Yeah, like we like as me with, with dyslexic and reading and writing, yeah, like being a tick, you had no control of someone calling you a tick and what was going through in your head. But like when you sit back the older person now looks at it, most like if we were given the encouragement that we should have got if we could read or write and stuff like that and we're good in school, most of the, the most famous people, wealthy people in the world have a problem. They're reading and writing or they've they've something that's like and I wouldn't even say it's wrong, it's just been different. Like, and that's who has it, but they had the support around them to get them there, whereas with, with myself, like, it wasn't. And now, like, you, you do that special class, you stay back, you have to see that special teacher, he'll help you out with your words, and you're, you're, like, you're in Egypt mixing your B's and your D's and your spelling and all that up. But so that was drilled into me then, right, well, nothing to do with paperwork's never gonna be me. It's right, sit down with my hands and see what I can do with that, but, the older fella now, looking back at most of the most richest people in the world, have something wrong with them, but they had that structure. They had someone to basically give them a pat on the back and say, yeah, look, it's great to be different, but like, you don't give up on that. You can do this, and there's plenty of options for you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's the options part, like, is when you're told that there's no option for you. You're anyone. Now you've no option to do anything. You're going to say, hold on a second. What have we to do then? Well, if someone says, you know what, actually, you might be good at doing this or that. You might say, you know what, I'm actually going to try it. And then you can try it right if it doesn't work for you. But you've got the confidence of trying something else. But when you're told not, no option for you, nothing you can do because you're now good in school, it is, it knocks you back. Like, it's going to oh. keep you so not back. See, there you go. Then again, that's the teachers. So why do they treat a man like that? Why would they be so bad to treat children like that? Mm. Where they say, look, this fella has a problem. Like, fuck him, just turn the back to school. Yeah. They never gave them a chance. He says, just... Sit with him. What's wrong? What's going on? Instead of slagging him off. So the, you said there was a problem. It wasn't with us. It was yeah. with them. With society teachers, and people and, and structures just not and systems. And the problems yeah. that, that they were learning kids. Yeah. So they shouldn't have been learning Especially kids. Especially saying, oh, he's only had one of them kids out of flats. Like, that's what you know I mean. They only had a flat. Still the same areas from the 80s in jail. Yeah. Every area in Dublin that these names is still in jail to this day, like. Yeah. And, as and they that, said, that's 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 rock, you pull a fella, he just have a fifty bag of weight, but they're not getting pulled. No. And that's a, so oh, that's a failing. And so really, it's 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 getting to that point where you know young kids aren't the thing that are failing the system. The system is failing yeah, the kids. Yeah. 100%, yeah. 100%, yeah. We'll have to leave it there, lads, because he's looking in at me going. No, I love the ground. She walked upon I knew that I could not stay I'm going to give you one word, right? We carried out a survey um, of what 
what words came to mind when people um, thought of pri- people in prison? Basically, the question was, what words come to mind when you think of an individual in prison? And there's lots of different ones, but one word that came up a couple of times in it was the word um, sad and lonely. Do you feel that that's representative of someone in prison? So someone from the outside is describing prisoners as sad and lonely. Mm. No, I don't think that's a representative yeah. of prison. Yeah, well, look, there is, there is obviously sad and lonely people in prison. Yeah. Especially now during the pandemic, there's yeah. a lot of lonely people. Yeah. And it is, yeah, look, I suppose it is a point you think sad and lonely. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of strong people in prison as well. Yeah. That are helping other prisoners. Yeah. And giving I think them a boost. And I think that's important is that you can act and you can be sad and lonely, but you can also be extra strong and useful and ambitious and yeah. hard working and yeah. all of those things. I'm not saying I'm perfect. Like, I get lonely sometimes sitting in the cell. Like, you're looking at the stair that tell you there and you don't even know what's on. Everyone wants to go home. That's the goal, you know. So I suppose just survive in this place and try to move on. It's an assassin, a silent killer from the past. Watch your back, it swoops in fast. Like a predator, hunt and pray. The motherfucker won't go away, you gotta fight back. A kicking and a screaming, that's the only way you can beat him. Fire with fire. Conversations on the Margins is a limited series podcast produced by me, Lynn Rowan, and the team at Alfonso Films in partnership with Go Loud and funded by the Rhone Trust with the support of the IPS and Governor Eddie Mullins. Sound and location was recorded by Dave Fannin and Rob Moore with editing and sound design by Kieran O'Connor. The music used in this series is written and performed by students in the Educational Centre in Weefield Prison. I would also like to thank the principal and teachers in the Education Centre of Weefield Prison for facilitating this podcast and for all your support. Finally, and most importantly... I would like to thank each and every one of the men who sat down with me, opened up and had a very real conversation. I know it wasn't easy, but I'm very grateful. You'll find conversations on the margins forced every Tuesday on the Go Loud app and all major podcast platforms too. Beat them fire with fire and night for a night. Take this motherfucker out and save your life. Uh-huh, or the life of a loved one.